The nail in the coffin! Welcome to the Nail in the Coffin. I am Tom Valentino. He is Travis Yuley. It is Wednesday night. Uh, Trav, how you been, man? Long time uh, no talk. I know, man. We've been uh, we've been struggling to sync up our schedules here for a little bit, haven't we? We have. It, uh, it it's been back and forth that time of the year. Uh, summer winding down. The the school year starting. Uh, my daughter had her first day of kindergarten today. Uh, Riverside class of 2032. Oh, hey, uh, Yago Beavers. There you go. That's right. We're They're off and running, and uh, a good time was had by all. So it was a big day at the uh, the Valentino household here. How uh, how are things down in the state capitol? Uh, things are things are good, I tell you. We've been uh, – we had the Buckeyes kick off last weekend, so that was fun. Um, interesting game, to say the least, but uh, it's good. It's it's. Fall in Ohio is always as good as it gets. You know what I mean? And it feels like it's finally that time. So, Yeah, we got more reasons for fall to be good this year, hopefully. Um, no as we get started here, just uh, want to say, if you're listening to us on the waitingfornextyear.com podcast feed, and this is the first time you're hearing us, welcome. We uh, hope you'll stick around. You can subscribe to our show on uh, a separate feed on Apple Podcasts. Google Podcast, Stitcher, or the TuneIn app. Just search for The Nail in the Coffin. You can give us a follow on Twitter at The Nail Podcast and uh, go like our Facebook page, facebook.com slash The Nail Podcast. All right, so as I was saying, uh, uh, after about eight months of waiting and uh, all kinds of buildup, the Cleveland Browns are finally going to begin their 2019 season this Sunday down at First Energy Stadium, the Tennessee Titans come into town. A lot of excitement, a lot of hype. It's all happening, <laughs> we think, or uh, at least we hope this is going to be the year that things finally turn around and the Browns uh, become a by-God contender. Um, past couple weeks, uh, no shortage of Browns coverage around here and, and nationally. Uh, I've seen a whole lot of retrospective pieces on uh, the greatest hits and uh, I use that term loosely of uh, <laughs> bad Browns football over the past 20 years since they returned to the league. Uh, I wanted to go in a different direction. And as we were kicking some ideas around for the show this week, uh, I told Trav, you know, uh, we want a positive season. We got to start with some positive vibes here. So I think if we put our heads together and we really try, we can dig through 20 years of football and possibly come up with just enough material to fill one podcast episode. Trev, what do you say? Uh, it's going to be a challenge, but uh, I'm up for it if you are. All right, let's uh, let's try. Um, so we each uh, were uh, working on putting together some lists of our favorite memories. To be clear, this is not any sort of an objective ranking uh, of uh, specific games or, or moments or players. Or anything like that. It's just uh, when, you know, is there anything positive that you could take from the past 20 years of Browns football? Um, not necessarily even chronological order. I'm sure we're going to be jumping around. But, uh, yeah, you know, we're uh, <laughs> we're swimming in the shallow end of the pool here. So it's entirely possible that uh, our list might overlap a little bit. But I think a good place to start, or as good a place as any, um, 2002, the only playoff year since uh, the Browns have returned uh, to the National Football League. And uh, let's go uh, right to the – let's cut right to the chase. Uh, week 17, the uh, game against the Falcons down at the stadium and the uh, the famous three words, run, William, run. Where were you for that game? What do you remember from that? I will be f- – full disclosure here. I remember very little of this. Um, this would have been my so my first year out of high school. I was living at home uh, with the old parents and uh, attending uh, Harvard on the Hill, as they call it around uh, around Lake County. Uh, you may know it also as Lakeland Community College, former home of the Browns' uh, preseason training. Um, I remember watching it at my house with my dad and not really. I don't know that we really were bought in at that time. It's it's kind of weird to say, and and truthfully, I was fully invested in the Ohio State Buckeyes at this point. They were on their uh, they were on their march to a magical national championship season, 
And I think even though, I don't know, even though I was living in Cleveland still at the time, Ohio State was still probably my primary team at the moment or at that time. And the Browns were kind of taking a back seat. So I don't know. It, it kind of disappoints me now to say it. I don't know that I fully embraced what I was seeing. And I don't know that I ever expected it would take me that long to see something similar. <laughs> um, but I, it's not a particularly vivid memory for me, honestly. All right. My memories are you better a little bit more than, You better have more than that. <laughs> we are off and running here. Um, so this would have been when I was uh, about halfway through college uh, down at OU. And back then we were on quarters. So I was home between the fall and winter quarters for about six weeks. You know, we came home around Thanksgiving. Oh, I forgot went you back guys had that New ridiculously year. stupid schedule. Oh, I love that schedule. So going to semesters was a huge mistake. You must have never needed a job over the holidays or summer. Or actually, you guys got them all for holidays, didn't you? That's right. Yeah, yeah sorry. It, I don't mean to de- derail here, but... Uh... No, it was it, it was fantastic for making some bank when you were home uh, in the middle of the year. Uh, yeah, we, we caught it on the business end um, over the summer. But yeah, at wintertime, it was it was a nice break. <laughs> um, so anyway, my dad uh, at that point was splitting a season ticket package, I think, with my uncle and a few other people. And my dad always made sure that the games he got were towards the end of the year because those were the games that I'd be home for. and We could go down there together. And um, we had gone down to a game, I think it was about two or three weeks before this against Carolina. And the Browns were kind of flirting with the playoff picture. They were on the on the fringes there. And um, we had found our way down to some seats that did not match uh, the number and section uh, on our ticket stubs uh, down in the, uh, the 100 level. You know. I know it was, uh, you know, uh, but um, that was the highlight of that day against Carolina. It was a horrid game. I think the Browns scored like six points and it was kind of looking like that was going to be the nail in the coffin on their season. Um, But, you know, there you go. Um, So Browns got themselves back into contention. I think they had that, that game at Baltimore the week before where they had to drive about 95 yards in the last two minutes uh, to beat the Ravens and set up the win in your end scenario or no, it wasn't even win in your end. They needed some help on that last week. Um, so we were back down there for the Falcons game and somehow I'm not going to go into detail. I ended up about four rows or maybe 10 rows off the field on the 50 yard line behind the Falcons bench. And, um, I should also preface this by saying that back in the day, I, um, I do you remember Hornblowers? The the bar? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. It was the greatest parking spot for Browns games um, with no close second because you could go in there and you paid $20 to park and you got a $20 voucher that you could use in the bar on anything, including alcohol. So you could basically go down there, tailgate, Hang out, go across, um, you know, over the bridge and go over to Muni if you got friends over there. It's a go wonder to the game. that place isn't still in business. I, I think it's like a marketing <laughs> agency now. Yeah, that sounds um, about right. Yeah, but uh, yeah, then anyway, you come back to the uh, the bar afterwards and you know have have one you know one more, and uh, then you know wait for traffic to clear out, and then you could go home. So we went into the game, and super intense game. Obviously, and I think the Browns were actually down by like a touchdown going to the fourth quarter. They take the lead. And the two things I remember from that fourth quarter after that, well, three things. Number one, I think Tim Couch broke his leg. So Holcomb had to come in. Um, And that set the stage for his awesome playoff game the week after that. Um, Number two, obviously, was run, William, run. And that previous summer, I had worked as an usher uh, over at Jacobs Field. And a guy that I had worked with over there was also working Browns games and he was working our section at this Browns game. So when William Green went running down the sideline, I went running down the stairs and bear hugged the usher because I was looking for pretty much anybody and everybody to high five and, and bear hug and everything else at uh, at that point because that, that stadium had just come unglued. And uh, then uh, the Falcons final drive. So they're down eight points 
And all I remember is whatever help the Falcons had needed at that point uh, in other games going on at the same time, it had come through. So the PA guy at the stadium on more than one occasion on that final drive was announcing very loudly and very clearly, the Falcons have already clinched a playoff berth. So <laughs> it seemed like he, he just stopped short of saying like, stop trying, damn it. Uh, Save yourselves. Take us with you. Right. So they got it down inside the five and first and goal. And the Browns came up with a huge goal line stand. I think Dwayne Rudd, even had a, a big play in that sequence, and uh, the Browns won. So we went back to Hornblowers. Um, every friend that I knew that was down there all happened to pile into this corner of the bar, and we watched, I think it was like a Packers-Jets game or something, and whatever way we needed that to go, it did. And, uh, yeah, the Browns made the playoffs, and I think to this day that, that might still rank as the most fun sporting event I've ever attended in person. No kidding. Great day. That sounds like it. Yeah, I honestly think, and I'll, I'll – I think because when when the Browns left, I uh, I don't know I, I I switched to college football. I didn't really I didn't get super into the NFL at that point, and because I was spent all that time getting invested in Ohio State, and they were in the midst of a uh, a magical season, I probably didn't appreciate that Brown season as much as I probably should have. So uh, that one's on me. I'm glad at least one of us took advantage of that. Well, I think also had you known what kind of a drought we were going to be in for might have taken that. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> Ohio state, uh, things have gone significantly better and, um, yeah, the Browns, not so much. Um, hopefully that changes this year. Um, hopefully we get a week one win, uh, at home or just a week one win period, because, uh, that has not happened for your Browns. Do you know there, there's been one in the 20 years that they played their one 18 and one, in opening uh, games since returning. Do you know when the only win was? Um, I'm going to say no. I don't specifically. I, 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 if I were to guess, I'd probably say 2004. Yeah, there you go. Yeah, there you go. Well done. Um, I was at this game as well. So the previous season, the 03 season, wrapped up. The last home game that year was on my birthday. And again, I was home on break and uh, my dad took me down to that game and uh, the Browns lost to the Ravens 35 to nothing. Happy birthday. <laughs> um, the the best, uh, I think the highlight of that day was there was a Tasty Cakes truck outside the stadium handing Ooh. out free samples on our way back to the car. That is so a highlight. That was my birthday cake that year. Um but, uh, yeah, that was a miserable game. And I specifically told my dad, hey, listen, uh, I'm graduating in the spring. So, like, next year you don't have to wait until it's 15 degrees and the Browns are already 10 <laughs> games under 500 when you're up to uh, pick some games. Uh, so, uh, yeah, he came through the next year. He got uh, the opening day game. And that was, again, against Baltimore. And uh, that was Jeff Garcia and the Browns came out and uh, beat the hell out of the Ravens. I think it was uh, 20 to three. So it was a, a fantastic afternoon and optimism was uh, riding high as we left the stadium that day. And the, the weather was much nicer as well. I can imagine. All right. I'm going to throw one out to you. Um, okay. Fast forward roughly six years. Browns off to a typical slow start. Um, to say the least, they are one in three coming off of bye in week five, playing, hosting the New York Giants at home on Monday Night Football. Okay. This would go on to be a less than exciting season for the Browns, obviously. They'd finish at, I, I want to say they finished at four and 12, um, but honestly, at that time, all the records kind of run together. So I can't, don't, don't quote me on this exactly. But I remember watching this game for no real reason. Um, it was Monday night. And, you know, what else do you have to do with your friends but sit around and watch Monday night football during football season? And at this point, it's it's 2008, so I'm still in my early 20s and acting as such. And <laughs> so it was one of these days where, you know, what, I'm going to skate out of work early, start just drinking early for no reason other than I got nothing else to do, right? I feel like doing it. Um, I got no semblance of a, you need. yeah, exactly. I got no semblance of a career at this point. I just have a job. And 
so I said, you know what? I'm going to leave this job, go meet up with a couple of my buddies, and watch the Browns get their asses kicked. Or so I thought. I would be proven wrong. Um, I remembered, obviously, as you can tell by what happened pregame, recollections a little bit fuzzy of the events that took place. But I remember at one point, and this was a bar relatively mixed. I'm not going to say there was a whole lot of of loyal anything there. There weren't Giants or Browns fans. There was really nobody particularly um, passionate on either side. A few Browns fans mixed in and a few Giants fans mixed in. But mostly it was just people at the bar watching Monday Night Football. And I remember running around... um, they had, you know, they got the booths on the back of the wall, right? And then they got all the tables in the middle lined up. And I remember, I believe it was probably the fourth touchdown. It wasn't the very last one. Um, but it was, as it was very apparent at this point, that the Browns actually were going to look competent for this game against a a relatively respectable team. Um, and I think that was the year after the Giants won the Super Bowl. I might be wrong yes, about that. Yes, it was. But, okay. So the Giants coming off the Super Bowl. Browns, terrible. Um, just looking like a completely different team. And I remember celebrating so irrationally at this game that would turn out to be completely meaningless in the grand scheme of things. But running laps around this bar, high-fiving <laughs> people who truthfully could not care any less about who was winning this game. Um but and this again might be uh, might be revisionist history. Um, I remember people being legitimately excited for me, or at least that's what I told myself at the time. That's and nice. as that that season obviously eventually fell back from the uh, we washed that out of our memories as quickly as we could, right? And they got pretty much destroyed the rest of the season. I think they maybe uh, I think they won two more games the rest of the year and. We're never really in serious contention, but that one week gave us a brief glimpse. And this was coming off of the year when they went 10 and six and just missed the playoffs. So right. hopes for the Browns at the time were irrationally high. I think week six, we should have probably known better. Um, but that game gave us this glimpse like, okay, maybe they figure it out and they can get back in this thing. Uh, spoiler, they did not. Um, but <laughs> I, uh... that, that evening was... Up to that point, it was one of the more fun regular season games. I can remember just just watching, starting to watch it casually and getting very into it by the end of it. Yeah, I uh, I was at that game, actually, and uh, it was a fan. <laughs> of course you were. Of course you were. And I bet it was awesome. It was a great night to be down there. You know, the thing about that is it was the year that the the year after the Giants had won the Super Bowl with the the the, uh, the Tyree catch. And uh, broke up the Patriots' perfect season. And I remember that the Browns played the Giants in the preseason in 2008. And that was also done by a a game that was broadcasted by uh, ESPN and the Monday Night Football crew. And the Browns got their doors blown off. Now, obviously, preseason games don't really matter in the grand scheme of things. You're looking for different things. You're evaluating bottom-of-the-roster guys. But um, even the starters who had played in that game, nothing looked good. Nothing went right. And the Monday night crew was like, what the hell are we looking at here? We're going to have to see these guys. You know, we're seeing these teams play again during the season when it actually counts. It's this is going to be horrendous. And, you know, as you had said, you know, the, the Browns the year before had gone 10 and six. And because of that, you know, there was a lot of momentum coming into that season. And the Browns were this hot team. That were uh, coming on like a freight train and got a whole bunch of pre uh, primetime games that year. Boy, that kind of sounds familiar to uh, current <laughs> events. Yeah, it, uh, <clears throat> might might sound familiar to you folks at home. Yeah, uh, but uh, yeah, that was why the Browns were on Monday Night Football. And yeah, you're right. It, the, the season got off to a rough start, and you know went into the bye week, uh, uh, limping at one and three, I think. And yeah, it came out on Monday Night Football week six against the defending champs and. Uh, Hammered them, and it was awesome. And yes, the Browns only did win two more games after that uh, the rest of the year, both on the road. They did not actually win another home game until uh, very late in the season of 2009. It was a December 
2009 um, Thursday night football game against Pittsburgh. I don't know. Do you have any recollections of this? Because this is another one that I was at. Uh, I vaguely remember the game, um, but I have a little bit of a, I have a little bit of a correction for you. You okay. say the Browns got their doors blown off in the preseason. The score okay. was actually thirty-seven to thirty-four. Oh, and fi- but at one point the Giants were up thirty to three. So there you go. Okay. Uh, <laughs> so final score not indicative of uh, the, the style of the game, obviously. But okay, um, kind of weird, I guess. Now that I think about it, it, it sounds weird to me. Do you, teams play preseason games against teams that they're going to play during the regular season? Is that common? It's pretty rare. I don't um, think so, right? Yeah, I, I don't. I'm not even sure like how preseason matchups get determined. There's right. no rotation like how the regular season schedule works, as far as I know. Um, I know like way back in the day, uh, there used to be um, games against division opponents in the preseason. Like I'm pretty sure that you know at the uh, 1981 MLB All Star Game that was in Cleveland that got pushed back to August because of the uh, the strike that was going on. Right. And the night before that All Star Game, there was a Browns preseason football game against I think the Steelers. Okay. So yeah, yeah now that obviously never happens uh, anymore. All right. But, huh. Yeah, it, it's it's rare. I don't. I can't remember the last time that's happened with the Browns it probably hasn't been too long because they were playing Detroit in the preseason pretty much every year for a while in uh in battle, battle the barge well, yeah they got it the battle of the barge that's right so um, a little side note about the barge I found out that there's actually two barges yeah I know <laughs> that is such that is such a buzzkill it is it's I don't like to talk about that I'd like to prefer I didn't know that um I like to pretend I, I just I never heard that and uh, it never happened. Yes, the barge is singular and it belongs to us. Yeah, that's right. No further notice. Take that, Detroit. Uh, but yeah, this this 2009 game, um, the Browns came into that game, I believe, one and eleven, and this was Mangini's first year, and he looked like a dead man walking. And that game, it was on Thursday night football, and it was six degrees. Minus 15 wind chill. Uh, my college roommate, Tim, and uh, some family members of his were coming up from Columbus. They had an extra ticket. They called me the day of the game. They're like, hey, you want to go down there? And I'm like, yeah, sure. It's a Brown Steelers game. Why not? I got nothing else going on. Um, so I went down there. I'm telling you, that had to be the coldest game I've ever been to. I was physically sore when I woke up the next morning. It, it, I was in literal pain from being out in the cold for that long. And we were actually like out of the wind where we were sitting. So anybody who was in the upper deck, um, I don't know how they made it. It was, it was crazy. But that game, uh, eight sacks for the Browns, and it was their first win against the Steelers since 2003. And that ended up being the first of four straight wins that ended up saving Mangini's job for a year. Um, so yeah, it was, um, and, and as I'd said earlier, that was the first time they had won a home game in over a calendar year, uh, since that Monday night game the year before. And uh, yeah, the players came running out on the field. You'd have thought they just won the Super Bowl or something with how they celebrated, but that was, that was a fun time down there as uh, bitterly cold as it was. Nice. Yeah, I will. Uh, all right. I'll, I'll respond in kind with my, uh, my coldest game that I can recall, um, not great planning. Uh, God bless my brother and sister-in-law. Um, wonderful people. Thought for uh, for our wedding gift to my wife and I when we got married, her the Bengals fan, me the Browns fan, um, they would get us tickets to the Browns-Bengals game in Cleveland, um, December 11th of 2016. And Ooh. I tell you, had it not been a wedding gift... Would not have gone. Um, we it was it's one of those games that, and I've been to a few of these more probably more so Ohio State games from years ago, um, just because Browns haven't given me a whole lot of reason to suffer through the elements much over the years. Um, but this game we had these tickets and we're looking forward to it, and then we realized like probably like a week ahead of time like it's gonna be goddamn miserable down there, but we have to go like. If anyone had just given us the tickets or under any other circumstances, we would have been sitting on our couch. But we're like, all right, goddamn, let's get our stuff together. 
bundle up, do all this. And we sat up there and it was, it was probably, I don't know, in the twenties, but it was like wet, slushy, gross snow and windy as hell. And we're sitting there and my wife, God bless her. We're, we're barely celebrating, right? No one has the energy. Um, to this day, I can't even tell you who won the game. No idea what happened in the game. Um, because we left it around halftime. We're like, you know what? We got some pictures, so they know we came. Um, <laughs> <laughs> we're pretty much covered. But this is hell on earth. I don't know why anyone is still here. Um, let's get our asses out of here and go get some food. So if I recall the bang, I Honestly, I think the Bengals were kicking the shit out of us early. And we're like, okay, the Browns aren't going to come back. I'm like, cool, let's go. We can go home. I'm good. And my wife... Responded as well. Um, the Bengals weren't particularly good that year, that year either, um, but I, I'm pretty sure they handed it to us that day. And it was one of those it was one of those days where my wife looked at me like, "How the hell did you get me to move to Cleveland?" Um, <laughs> and I looked right back at her like, "Yeah, I I couldn't tell you myself. I don't know why why I came up with this crazy idea." Um, but it's one of those things that you look back on, and even if it was miserable in in the moment, right, you still enjoyed yourself, still got out and um made the best of it even if it was awful while you were doing it um it's better as a memory than it was as as an experience i'll put it that way there you go well uh, a better memory of a browns bengals game let's go back to that 2007 season uh the the one and only time the browns have had a double digit win season uh, since returning they went 10 and 6 that year and the first of those wins week 2 against Cincinnati. You might remember in week one, Charlie Fry had uh, won the uh, the pillow fight that was the Browns quarterback competition during training camp that year. Got benched, I think, during week one and traded the day after. Yeah, that was a uh, so, start. Is that the most bizarre start anyone's ever seen to a 10-win season? If it's not number one, it's, it's on a short list. It's yes. got to be in the team picture. Right, absolutely. So, yeah, week two, you're coming in. Derek Anderson's now starting – and the Bengals are coming into town, and the Browns ended up winning 51 to 45, and uh, lit it up. That was it was a phenomenal game, and it really jump started what ended up being really a fun year. I, a couple other games I want to talk about from that season, but um, that one for me always is kind of a, a good personal memory because um, I remember the week after that. Uh, the weekend after that, um, Michelle ended up moving in with me. So that weekend, while the Browns-Bengals game was going on, I was at her place with her family helping to pack. And when the game came on, um, you know, we all kind of sat down. And we originally, we were just going to kind of have it on in the background. We didn't think much was going to happen, uh, given the way the week went, uh, you know, the game went the week before against Pittsburgh. So um, as that game got more interesting against the Bengals, we all kind of got roped in. And at that point, it was really cool because, uh, you know, at that point, you know, we'd been dating for, you know, not quite a year. And I'd been over to some family functions, the holidays and stuff like that. But that was the first time, like, I really, like, watched a game with my father-in-law or, you know, a gentleman who ended up becoming be my father-in-law. Right. Yeah, exactly. And um, it's kind of a cool bonding experience. And, you know, everybody kind of puts out the fine china for the holidays. But uh, to see somebody get, like, legitimately fired up for the Browns game, I'm like, this is pretty awesome. I, I like this guy. This is great. Um, <laughs> this guy. This is my kind of guy. This is this is my kind of guy. Yeah, exactly. Uh, and, uh, and that was uh, that was fun. Um, the the second game that I distinctly remember from that season, the the snowstorm game against Buffalo. Um, I don't know uh, how much you remember for that one, but that, that was the game where the entire field was just in a whiteout and uh, Browns ended up winning eight, nothing. I think there was a, a couple of Phil Dawson field goals and a safety. And, and the one of them was relatively far given the conditions. And the best part of that, we had Gus Johnson on the call, which like, I, I can't think of a better announcer to call a game in a snowstorm than, than Gus Johnson. It was a perfect day to sit home and watch uh, a game on television. I don't know that I'd want to have been there for that one, but uh, that, that was a lot of fun. I actually remember that, um, that Browns bills game pretty vividly. Um, I remember sitting on my couch with, uh, one of my buddies at the time, I was sitting on my friend's couch at the time, not my couch, and we're sitting there watching and we're putting in our picks for the day. And the Bills at the time were pretty damn bad too. And 
I think the I think the under was something embarrassing, like thirty. Um, and so we're like, oh god, no one's touching that. And then they showed like the you know like the ten thirty during the pregame. We're like, oh, let's go check how everything looks in Cleveland. And we saw it, and we both looked at each other and immediately, like, hammer the under. We're like, throw more on it. Give me all of them. Merry Christmas, oh, boys. Oh, my God. And they delivered in kind. We watched the – it was it was the sloppiest game I can ever remember, like, a team of mine being involved in, um, or at least the Browns being involved in. Um, and just seeing, like oh, – it was one of those games where you're like, yeah, don't want to be at that. Um but I'll be happy to reap the rewards of it. Yeah, I was at a game a few years before that, I think against San Diego or maybe Tennessee. It was a big snowstorm game, and you got in there, and the opening kickoff, everybody's kind of excited. Woohoo! snow game. And after about five minutes, you're like, this sucks. And, snow uh, games are only good on TV. I don't care what anyone yeah, says. Yeah, I, I would agree with that. Anyone it, it's, talks it's, about, oh, it's the elements. Oh, kiss my ass. It's, it's terrible. <laughs> oh, <laughs> It's bad no football, thanks. and it's a bad fan experience. No, no. But uh, the other game from that season that I, I definitely remember, the 33-30 to 30 win at Baltimore uh, with Phil Dawson with the field goal off the stanchion that I think it ended up might. Oh, that's was right. That, was that re- reviewed? Or that was like a really controversial play because they initially thought it, it bounced off the crossbar, but it actually cleared the crossbar and hit the stanchion behind it and bounced back in. And Yeah, I remember um, a lot of – I just I feel like I just remember a lot of people freaking out um and watching on TV and not really understanding why people were freaking out. Yeah. And and you know the announcers and uh the Ravens coaches and everything are going nuts. And I'm like what well what why are we all I didn't you couldn't even tell at least from where I was you couldn't even tell that it had bounced, you know, back over. Right. And in hindsight seeing that it's like oh yeah, I could see why they thought it wasn't good. Um but from where I was watching it was like it clearly got past it. Like what are we all what's going on here? Um, I'm trying yeah. to celebrate here, get over it. Um, but yeah, that was a pretty wild game. It's I kinda... was I was watching that game at uh, Beef O'Brady's back uh, when our buddy John oh hey now shut the bar over there. That's right, and uh, that that was a, a you know so like I couldn't we didn't really hear the audio because there was so much noise going on in the bar. Everybody was going crazy, right? And we had a big group of our friends all kind of crammed around one corner of the bar watching you know a couple of the TVs over there. And uh, that was just a fantastic environment. And, um, you know, honest to God, I, I'll I got to say that, like, one of the things I'm most excited about with if this season coming up goes the way that um, we hope it does, getting that, uh, you know, experience of getting a bunch of people together and, and games becoming events again, rather than, you know, something to be background noise on a Sunday afternoon when I'm uh, filing bills or something like that. Uh, so, you know, getting the big gr- crowd together, I- I've kind of lost that in the last few years and, and getting that back last year was a lot of fun. And um, games like that against the Ravens back in 07, the big reason why. Yeah. I'll say I I've lived in Columbus for a long time, right. Um, for let's see, since 2003, to 2019 with about a three-year break in there so 12 13 years i've lived in columbus last year was the only time and i every sunday as long as i can remember um if i was in columbus i was walking around wearing browns gear last year was the first year i can remember people actually like saying something to me other browns (laughs) fans like shouting out like hey yeah go browns as you're walking down the street and so that aspect is i'm with you it's it's I don't know. Columbus is obviously a little different from Cleveland because it's it's got a pretty it's got a pretty decent mix. I think it probably still leans Browns. Probably I don't know. Probably fifty percent Browns, thirty percent Bengals, twenty percent Steelers, something like that, give or take. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's still it's still more fun when you know when it's something worth watching. I can I can see that. One thing I'll say about the two thousand seven season, I think my biggest. Um, I don't want to say gripe, but if you're Joe Thomas and that's your rookie year, you come in 10 wins, just missed the playoffs. Um, you're probably thinking, okay, this isn't so bad. And you never sniff another winning season again. No, it's insane. It's insane to think about it. It's just, it's unfair to a guy that was that good, obviously. And it's, you know, sort of the poster boy for a franchise and everything you want a guy to be right. And he just, 
never got to enjoy anything even close to that again. That kind of sucks. But uh, well, the one year that he had after that, where the Browns were interesting for I'd say probably three quarters of the season, was 2014. I don't know how much you remember about that season, but they had that 31 to 10 shit kicking against Pittsburgh, mm-hmm. uh, where they they dominated the Steelers. That was that was a game in Cleveland. Um, the only downer of that was Alex Mack broke his leg, and I don't think the offensive line was ever really totally right again after that. But uh, they did. I think uh, they had a loss in there, but then they came back and they won three straight games after that, including. A uh, the third game in that streak was a 24-3 win at Cincinnati on Thursday night, and that moved them into first place. And that was one another one of those games where I remember being out watching with a bunch of people. I think we we're at uh, Quaker Steak over in Menor, if I remember correctly. And great night to be out. And because the game was in hand at the two-minute warning, and we all had to get up for work the next day, we're like, all right, we're going to call it a night. And I had to like stopping at gas on the way home. And I remember pulling out of the, uh, the gas station on, on three Oh six there. And just as the final seconds were ticking off and the pure joy in Jim Donovan's voice <laughs> saying your first place, Cleveland Browns was just fantastic. I actually, that was on my list as well, because I still, to this day, uh, well, maybe not. I guess I don't want to commit to what I was about to say there. Um, that I had been with my uh, my now wife at the time for about a year at that point. And again, she is a Bengals fan. And so we went to a bar with um, with a few of our friends, some Browns fans, some Bengals fans. We're going to watch the game. And I had undertaken my uh, my tradition of doing a shot of fireball every time the Browns score a touchdown. <laughs> and I'd mixed a couple other ones in there just for fun. Um, I think for turnovers, as I, one does, I was, you know, I was, I was feeling pretty good at one point. And there was a point in the game where it was, it was very clear that the Bengals were outmatched. And my wife is sitting next to me, and I'm just the biggest jackass you can imagine. Um, in good fun, obviously, not being mean about it, but celebrating the Browns probably a little more than I should have. And I do remember the next day, like waking up um, thinking, you know what, if that didn't, if that didn't make or dump me, we got a chance. <laughs> and fast forward, obviously fast forward a couple of years and sure enough, there we are. Um, but I remember that game very vividly because it was just, it wasn't, I mean, the score was 24 to three and, 24 is not a ton of points, obviously, but it was very apparent that game that, um, that, you know, the Browns were, they looked relatively competent. Now, obviously the, the wheels would fall off a little bit the next a couple of weeks later and things like that. But, um, I remember that as sort of the first big Browns Bengals game that my what now wife and I ever watched together. And she put up with me like a saint, um, and yeah, that's 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 what I will take from that day. Now she'd get her, uh, I'd get my comeuppance a few weeks later when the Bengals would beat us thirty to nothing. But uh, for that night, I was untouchable. Oh, we're not going to go into that that thirty to nothing game because that unfortunately was another one I was at, and that's a story uh, for another day. You can <laughs> go uh, to listen to somebody else's uh, greatest non hits um, if you want that one. Uh, only other ones that I wanted to mention, uh, 2013, there was a game in week three against Minnesota. This is kind of a random pick, but, uh, Brandon Whedon had gotten injured the week before the Browns looked like they were dead in the water and Brian Hoyer came in out of nowhere. Nobody had any clue what he was capable of at that point. And he threw for over 300 yards and three touchdowns. He had like a bomb to Josh Gordon. And they they ran a fake field goal where the punter, Spencer Lanning, threw a touchdown to <laughs> Jordan Cameron. Basically, they like pulled out all the everything but the kitchen sink. And it was just a super exciting game because going into that, it kind of felt like the season was going to be over before it even really got started. And that just kind of briefly gave us some hope. And uh, that was uh, that was a fun one. Um and the only other games other than that that I wanted to mention were just last year. Um, 
the, uh, the the Thursday night game against the Jets just because that was the arrival of Baker and, you know, um, how exciting that was for obvious reasons. And then that, that Saturday night game against uh, Denver at the end of last season when we were all over um, uh, my sister's house and, uh, you know, uh, hanging out with my brother-in-law. And, um, you know. Shout out, Rolo. That's right. What's up, Rolo? And, uh, you know, getting to watch that. And, the, you know, Browns, even historically, never have played well up at Mile High. And I think that was their first win up there in almost 30 years. So uh, that was uh, that was a fun night. Good Good times. Yeah, and that uh, the Jets game, I remember going into that game with, as a team that had won, you know, once in the last two seasons combined, going into that game with relative, I'll call it irrational confidence, it felt like, okay, this is the one, right? And going into it, we were still playing Tyrod Taylor. He was still the starter at that point. And um, for if you've listened to to this for a while, you know I was a bit of a Baker skeptic at the beginning, right? And I will admit, watching that game at the end of... It was like, I think he came in at the end of the first half um, and immediately threw like two balls. And I'm like, all right, maybe I was wrong about this guy. And I was, I was pretty convinced at that point. Like, now obviously I could have gone back on it, but um, it, it, it was a, it was a very noticeable shift in just the feeling of the team in general, the way that they looked on the field. And I think it's something we'll probably look back on pretty fondly for, for quite some time. If this all goes as we hope and expect it to, I think, um, I think we did a podcast that Saturday morning after that, if I recall, it was some, it was like a, it was the daytime. It was either Saturday or Sunday of that weekend. Okay. And that was, that was a good time. That was one of uh, the more enjoyable pods we've done in quite a while. It just, I think we had a good hunch as to like what he was capable of at that point. And yeah, the rest of the season kind of proved it out. So and I don't, I don't cool. remember what your position was last year, but I was, I was firmly in the camp of starting Tyrod and letting Baker sit for a year. Um, because I didn't, I, I don't know. I just didn't really see any downside to it. I didn't really care what was going to happen with the season at the time. So I was, I was pretty confident that, you know, this, this is probably the best, the best course of action. Clearly I was very wrong and I'm happy <laughs> to eat that crow, right? I'm, I'm fine with that. But um, actually the other one I will, sh- I will point out from last year was the Falcons game. Okay. Um, that I actually, I went, um, I went to the Muni lot with our good buddy, John Rosnack, who I'll be seeing on Sunday morning this, uh, this week actually. Um, and he just, randomly like hey you want to go to the game I'm like usually i would just go home um uh, before after the a long day at the meeting a lot i was usually ready to go sit on my couch and he's he's like well no come on let's 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 go down to the game and i'm like okay so i'll go to the game and i don't know that and they beat the hell out of them um it was a pretty pretty big ass kicking if i remember correctly i don't remember the score um, but there was, that a, was the game with the big, uh, run by Nick Chubb, right? Yes. Yes. He, big run by him. I think there might've been a return to, um, but I remember there just being play after play and the Falcons couldn't do shit. And the Browns look like, look like they were world beaters that day. And we celebrated the, obviously went nuts the entire game, stayed the entire game. And we're so happy with the Browns win that after the game, we were dancing with ushers in, in <laughs> See, like, it's not just me. No, we were dancing <laughs> with these two random ushers who were there and there was their stadium had pretty well emptied out at that, at that point. But we had, we had pulled, pulled the old pro move of uh, buying two beers at last call um, to keep ourselves lubricated. And so we're finishing our beers and there's these, just these, the ushers just stand there and we're, they're playing the music as people are walking out and we're just marching down the stairs like idiots. Um, <laughs> God knows why. Like, I don't know why we didn't just walk and drink our beers, but I can um, picture this vividly. Yeah. It's not hard. If you know me and Russick is not a hard <laughs> mental image to put together. Um, but we just, I just had a great time and it was like, you know what, this is what it should be like every week here. Um, and obviously they're not going to win all the time. They're not going to beat the hell out of everyone all the time, but 
you should have the opportunity for those types of games every week. And I think for for once, we finally feel like they're in a position to do that. Yeah, and I think that's a good point uh, to transition to 2019. You got uh, any quick thoughts uh, as we enter the season here on Sunday? Um, I don't know. I, I It's weird because we haven't, obviously, the preseason is such a waste of time in in almost all respects, in my opinion. And we don't know. There's so many question marks, right? We know on paper the team looks really damn good. They've got a lot of talent, but that doesn't always work. We know that that's not always the, the recipe for success. I think there's still some question marks, um, particularly the offensive line is a big one. Um, and truthfully, if we're being honest, that's kind of the only one, right? Um, so it's definitely the biggest question. Yeah, I mean, at kicker, um, but you know, whatever kickers, kickers are, in my opinion are relatively easy to cycle in and out of. Um, we'll see if they actually do that. Who knows? But um, no, it's just it's it's really exciting. I'm looking forward to finally like opening day, having having a, a positive outlook and being excited to watch the game and not just go to the mini lot and, you know, go home afterwards or, you know, put the game on while I fall asleep. Yeah. The, uh, I, I distinctly remember I, the game, it was a week one game against the Eagles probably about, Oh, I'd say six or seven years ago would have been seven years. Yeah. It was 2012 and Brandon Whedon was starting, and he was a rookie that year, and uh, the wife and I went down to that game, and I, that was her first experience in the beauty lot, and I told her as we're looking around at everybody high-fiving, throwing footballs around, and cornhole games, and drinking, and stereos blaring, and you know the usual debauchery that you see down there. I said, take a good look around at this because it's all downhill from here the rest of the day. And sure enough, uh, Brandon Whedon got trapped under the flag uh, <laughs> in the pregame festivities. And his day somehow got uh, even worse after that as he got uh, when, he, when he had to play football. Yeah, about four or five interceptions. So, um, yeah, here's hoping that uh, the uh, the pregame festivities in the beauty lot are only the start of a good day and instead of the high point and, uh, you know, the beginning of the end. All right. So for posterity's sake. Yep. What's your favorite? embarrassingly bad Browns moment. Oh, wow. Um, I have two. Okay. Um, first is uh Gapoda wand. I will <laughs> never, I will never get sick of that. I think it's fantastic. Um, and at the time it was such a perfect encapsulation of everything the Browns were. Um, my second yes, the, the banners that yes, were the dog pound goat, banners dog that pound, were shuffled up and ended up pound, just right? saying, uh, yeah, dog pound turned into Gapoda one. Um, <laughs> and yeah, it was just, it was so appropriate at the time that you couldn't help but laugh. Um, and my other favorite for a little more, um, a little more cringeworthy is the, I believe it was Dwayne Rudd. Is that the one that threw yep. his helmet and cost yep. him the game? Um, God, it was just so brutal. Cause it also, it seemed like one of those things that at the time you're like, look the other fucking way. Like you're really going to throw a flag on that. Come on. But that was why it was so cool. in that game at the, the final week of the season against the Falcons that year that on that big goal line stand, he had, I think the third down or fourth down, one of the last plays that like was, was a huge stop for them and was really key to them winning that game. So a little bit of redemption for him, but yeah, I'm I'm with you. That was, that was rough. Um, I, I think the play for me that will always stick out to me, it was October 13th of 2013 Browns lions. And uh, once again, Brandon Whedon on the business (laughs) end of a, uh, a bad moment, uh, under duress, uh, late in the game, trying to scramble, throws a backhanded floater towards the sidelines that hung up in the air forever. The most pathetic looking pass you've ever seen. Uh, it gently landed in the arms of a Lions defender um, who caught it and casually went out of bounds and uh, with the interception. And, and that was it. And that one always uh, sticks out to me. 
because two hours uh, after that, uh, my daughter was born. So I could not think oh, of a, uh, hey a more perfect day to, uh, Love you know, it. <laughs> it's Love like, it. welcome to being a sports fan in Cleveland, uh, uh, on your, that's right. So, yeah. So what are your plans for this weekend? I think I'm going to be posted up uh, at home. I'm okay. going to be turning up the volume on okay. uh, the, the old Get surround sound and listening to the dulcet tones of Jim Nance. Best Hello, Fred. Best seat possible. Love it. That's right. Nice. So are you now are you going to the game or are you just doing the tailgate? I think I'm just doing the tailgate. So uh, I get up there at around 730 in the morning. All right. Um, it'll be a relatively long day for me. Um, I am uh, I'm riding a, a Greyhound bus. That leaves Uh-oh. Columbus bright and early at 4:50 a.m. Um, yeah, so I'll be up there early, ready to uh, ready to partake in a few you, beverages. So I, you just go to a bar downtown to watch the game? Uh, um, probably. Um, I haven't honestly not really planning. I know I have a couple friends that are planning to be down that way, and then uh, my bus comes back at like six, so I can watch the game, grab a bite to eat get back on my bus and come back home. So, um, might, uh, might have to see if we can recruit you out East to, uh, the, uh, Valentino world headquarters. I will let you know. Um, I, I'll be honest. There's, there's very low likelihood that you will want me around your children. Um, <laughs> after five hours of opening day tailgating at the mini lot, but we'll play it by ear and I'll keep you, I'll keep you updated. All right. Fair enough. Well, there you go. They said it couldn't be done. We actually did a whole episode of good Browns moments from the last 20 years. How about it? I like it. I like it a lot. Well, let's stop while we're ahead. What do you say? Do it. Take it home. All right. As always, you can subscribe to The Nail in the Coffin on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, and the TuneIn app. You're listening to us on the waitingfornextyear.com podcast feed. Um, you can also stream us uh, every week um, on waitingfornextyear.com, uh, the website. We always put our episodes up on there. For Trev Suley, I'm Tom Valentino. It's been The Nail in the Coffin. We'll talk to you again soon. Get ready, race fans, because the ultimate NASCAR experience is about to hit the airwaves. Welcome to Pit Pass NASCAR, the podcast that takes you deep into the heart-pounding world of NASCAR racing. Join us each week as we bring you closer to the NASCAR action with exclusive interviews and all the news and rumors you need with your favorite drivers, team members, and industry insiders. So whether you're a fan of super speedways, short ovals, or road racing, or you've just watched Talladega Nights, Pit Pass NASCAR is the podcast you've been waiting for. Get ready to fuel your passion for NASCAR like never before. Subscribe now to Pit Pass NASCAR on your favorite podcast platform or head to evergreenpodcast.com and get ready to join us. Launching in the fall on Evergreen Podcast Network. Follow us on social media at pitpass underscore NASCAR to stay up to date with everything you need to know about the podcast.